Good morning, friends, and welcome to the Richland Adventist Church online service. We are continuing in our series in the book of Acts. We're actually going to be doing Acts chapter 1, part 2. And uh, we hope that as we move forward, you will be inspired uh, to participate with the unstoppable church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are an amazing God, and we thank you for who you are and how you work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to participate in the adventures of the Unstoppable Church. We pray, Father, that as we continue the study and uh, journey through this uh, amazing book in the Bible, that we would be inspired with your Holy Spirit as never before. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, imagine with me, if you will, a little metaphorical letter that I found uh, that if Jesus would receive this following letter. And it goes like this. Some of you have probably have seen this before, have heard of it before, but I, I think it fits what we're going to be doing today pretty well. It says, Jesus, son of Joseph, creative ministry rabbi, Nazarene, Palestine. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resume the 12 men picked for management positions in your organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests and have not only run the results through our computerized algorithms, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. The profile of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully as part of our service and for our guidance we have made, or for your guidance rather, we have made some general comments, much as an auditor would include some general statements. The report is given as a result of staff, staff consultation and comes without any additional fees. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking background, educational and vocational aptitude necessary for the type of enterprise you are undertaking, and they do not have the teamwork outlook required for success in your endeavor. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capacity. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and is given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no leadership qualities. Two brothers, James and John, the sons of deputies, well, they place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questionable attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus def definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered high scores on the manic depressive scale. You do have one of the candidates, however that shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We strongly recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Though humorous, this fictitious letter 
captures really well the limited way humans measure abilities versus God's ability to see men and women through the filter of the Holy Spirit's influence. God finds people like me and people like you. God finds wounded, ordinary men and women in desperate straits. And he washes our wounds and he changes our direction. He turns the extraordinary, the, rather the ordinary, into the extraordinary. He turns losers into winners. And that is where the book of Acts takes us today. They were just told to stop scary, staring in the sky. And then the very next line, we find it in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, says, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem. Their short journey from the Mount of Olives was an, unaccept, was an, an acceptable rather, Sabbath day's walk. Back in the city, they went to the room where they were staying, a second floor room, this whole group devoted themselves to constant prayer. This whole group devoted themselves to constant prayer with one accord. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, also known as Thaddeus, the son of James, and a number of women, including Mary, Jesus' mother, and some of Jesus' brother. I love what it says. They go back to Jerusalem, and when they get there, it says that the whole group devoted themselves to constant prayer with one accord. They were experiencing community and communion as they had never before. There was this experience that they had. They had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had witnessed the resurrected Savior and it changed everything about them. They took seriously the ancient words of the prophet Zechariah, which said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. They were up against unimaginable odds. Uninfluential believers needing to fulfill a God-sized mission in a world subjected to the cruelty and the power of the Roman Empire. But God, I believe, loves to give God-sized missions to people with God-shaped hearts. So their God-sized hearts prayed together in concert. They were all in one accord. They were all in harmony. They were all together praying. Yet even with that wonderful spirit of unity in prayer, something is still not right. Something is not whole. Peter, and he, with his true disposition, addresses the elephant in the room. Peter was great at that. There's an elephant in the room, and let's lose Jesus the elephant in the room was that they lost Judas too. Not just his life, but they lost his friendship with a betrayal that cut deep. And we don't think about this much, but there must have been a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and a lot of resentment 
that they had to deal through. I think that was part of the prayer. I think that is what caused Peter to start thinking, now, wait a minute, something is wrong here. I mean, we've, been, we've just been thinking about Jesus. We've been thinking about all that's going on. And he begins to have kind of a Bible study with them. It's as almost as if he was reminded of these scriptures that talked about the betrayal. These scriptures that talked about the fact that he would need to be replaced at some point. Jesus had chosen 12 with intention, on purpose. And it would take 12 in his mind to continue the ministry that Jesus had laid out for them. But how do you choose? So like any good human resource team, the two candidates submitted their resumes and cover letters. They went through a series of interviews. They each gave a model sermon for everyone to compare. And then they all had a vote to see who would be the next disciple or the next apostle. Oh, no, wait, that's not really what happened. What happened is really amazing to me. In Acts chapter 1, 15 to 23, it says this. As the disciples prayed, Peter stood among the group of about 120 people. Let me just stop there for a second. I was imagining like maybe at the most 20 people in there. You know, the 11 disciples and the, and, and the women and, and, and maybe one or two guys, maybe Nicodemus or, or Joseph or Arimathea. I, I'm not a, I can't believe that they're in a room with 120 people. That is unbelievable to me. I'm amazed by this. I never realized this before. For some reason in my mind, I'm thinking this is a small room. But yet it was big enough to house 120 people. Let's go back to the verse. As the disciples prayed, Peter stood among the group of about 120 people and made this proposal. So we need to determine Judas' replacement. We've prayed about it. We've had the Bible study. So we need to do this. And we need to determine Judas' replacement from among the men who have been with us during all of the, Lord's, uh, the Lord Jesus' travels amongst us. We need him to be there from his baptism by John until his ascension. We need someone to join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. And the group put forward two men. First one was Joseph, who was also known as Barabbas and Justice. And the second one was Matthias. Now, a little side note here. I guess part of what was going through my mind as I was studying this chapter, as I was reading this, is why replace Judas? Just stick with 11. Why 12? And as I studied it, I realized that, that through the Bible, 12 is the number of completeness. I'm just going to share with you only a few of the 187 times throughout the Bible that the number 12 is mentioned. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and this symbolized the completeness of the nation of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who actually became the heads of the 12 tribes. There were 12 loaves of permanent offerings on the golden table. There were 12 spies in the land of Canaan. Solomon had 12 administrators for his kingdom. Jesus chose 12 disciples who later became, later became the 12 apostles. The new Jerusalem which descends out of heaven is going to have 12 gates made of pearl, which are manned by 12 angels. 
There are 12 precious stones that will be used for the foundation of the New Jerusalem. And the wall, this one really amazed me. The wall of the city had 12 foundations with the 12 names of the apostles on each one. So in other words, there is going to be 12 foundations all around the walls of the New Jerusalem. And they're going to have the name of the disciples. And Judas is not going to be one of them. So Peter puts forth the qualifications because these are going to be the apostles. And the qualifications, as we read just a few moments ago, was they have to be from among the men who have been with us during all of the Lord Jesus' travel. They have to have been there from baptism by John until his ascension. And then this is the most important one. We need someone to join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. These were the qualifications. I'm amazed that there were others there that had these qualifications. I'm amazed that, the, that the, there's people that are mentioned that, that we know nothing about. The first Seems to be the favorite of the two. In fact, he has three names. He is Joseph, that's his given name. But they also call him Barsabbas, which basically means son of Sabbath. Maybe he was born on the Sabbath. And he's got another name, and that name is Justice, the just one. And so Joseph had this reputation of being just and fair. I mean, he just seems like the right person. The other candidate is Matthias. That's all. That's all we know. And his name means gift of God. But the Bible tells us no more about him. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verses 24 through 26 says, And they prayed. And said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all men. So they prayed. Lord, you who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy in ministry. Or to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men. I love that these 120 people were all in one accord, praying. I imagine these two men feeling extremely honored and yet scared. He knows their hearts. You know, he knows our hearts. He knows your heart. Is your heart 
God-shaped. I pray every day that my heart is God-shaped, that nothing else gets in the way of that. You may wonder if you're special enough for God to use you. When he looks at you, does he look at somebody that's special? Well, here's what I know. When he looks at us, when he looks at you and me, he looks with eyes that discern infinite possibilities. He sees us not as we are, but as as we might become. He inspires hope in us. He inspires confidence that we never had. He awakens in us our drive to prove ourselves worthy of that regard. God has called ordinary people like you and I to this extraordinary mission. I love that about God. I think sometimes we worry too much on whether we are extraordinary enough. I don't think God wants us to be extraordinary. I think God wants us to be ordinary. I think God is looking for humble, ordinary people. I love this quote by Erwin McManus. The history of God's people is not a record of God searching for courageous men and women who could handle the task. But God transforming the hearts of cowards and calling them to live courageous lives. God transforming the hearts of cowards and transforming us to live courageous life. I'm always amazed as I think back at my life. I think about what on earth happened. (laughs) I don't know how this happened. How God called me to do this work. And why I accepted. Because I was a timid person. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But the Bible says that these two men were chosen. Picture these two men trembling with overwhelming possibilities before them. Both afraid and awed by that possibility. And the Bible says they prayed. And then it says they drew lots. What? I mean, think about that for a second. We're not talking about some vote here. They prayed, and then they took a bunch of straws, and they said, whichever one gets the short straw, you're it. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I just, I, it's so foreign to me. But Because things are different now. But in ancient times, lots was a perfectly acceptable way to see God's will. We find it in the Bible. It was used in Leviticus to choose sacrificial goats. They cast lots to help divide the promised land in numbers. In Judges, it was used to decide when they went to war. Nehemiah used lots to decide who would live in Jerusalem. Lots determined when priests served and even how legal cases were to be settled. The church prayed in faith that God would elect the right person. It might seem random, but it wasn't. They didn't just gamble this. They prayed, and then they trusted that God would show them through this. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the way we should be doing things today, but I am suggesting this, that maybe we ought to be willing to give up a little control. And maybe the reason why 
this is so foreign to us. And maybe the reason why we're so afraid of this concept and that we would deem it gambling is because we have no control. Maybe God is waiting for us to lessen the grip of control. Maybe we ought to find ways to pray more, more earnestly, asking God for his will to be done in our church, in our churches, in our lives. So there is a great verse in Proverbs chapter 16, and it goes like this. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So Matthias gets the short straw. Now they're both qualified. And one is chosen for the great responsibility and the other to continue as a faithful follower. Neither, this is really important, neither had been mentioned before this moment and neither will be ever mentioned again throughout the Bible. It makes me think about that axiom about leaders. It is amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. The only thing we will know is that when we get to heaven, one of those foundations is going to have Matthias's name on it. Because God chose Matthias. I love this, 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 this quote from Erwin McManus again. One of my most amazing favorite authors. He says, would you be willing to give your life to save the world if no one ever knew your name? If anonymity was the price you would have to pay for significance, would it be too great a price? To live a life of courage is not a guarantee of prestige or adulation. It only matters if you live and die fulfilling the mission you were born for. Would you be willing to give your life to save the world if no one ever knew your name? So how about you? What are you waiting for? I've been thinking a lot about that these days. And you may not think much of yourself. That's okay. That's actually good. God loves humble people. But know that Jesus thinks the world of you. I learned a long time ago that the limitations that I am willing to accept about myself establish the boundaries of my mission. Maybe you worry what others think. I read this little quote that said, at age 20, we worry about what others think of us. At 40, we don't care what others think of us. At 60, we discover they haven't been thinking of us at all. Listen, and this is important. The church of Christ is always one generation away from extinction. One generation away from extinction. What are we doing to pass that baton on to the next generation in a way that they will carry it forward faster and better than us? You and I have been chosen. Look at this quote from Romans chapter 10. It says, everyone, everyone, that's you and that is me, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? So for them to be saved, somebody's got to get them, 
to the point where they believe. He says, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? So for them to be saved and believe, they have to what? Hear. And then it says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So they got to preach so that they can hear, so that they can believe, and they can be saved. And says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And the word sent is where we get the root word from the word apostle. And you and I have been sent to preach by our words, by our actions, by our deeds, by our life, so that people can hear and people can believe and people can experience salvation like you and I get to experience it. I remember, I remember realizing that this is what God had for me. I remember trembling. I'll never forget the day. And I'll be honest with you, from the, the, the first moment that, that I was speaking to people, teaching and, and, and giving Bible studies and, and preaching, and, uh, I, I was not at all looking to become a pastor. And I remember the little journey that ended up happening so that all of a sudden I am now an assistant pastor somewhere. And I am just like, what is going on here? And I remember the whole time being confused and then getting the phone call. That they wanted to interview me so that I could be ordained only after three years. That is unheard of. And I thought, why would you want to ordain me? And I remember trembling and praying, saying, God, why me? Why me? And then all of a sudden, why me turned into why not me? I remember talking to a dear friend of mine, a pastor, and saying, man, how do you know? How, how, how is this possible? And he said to me, Sergio, if you could do anything else and love it, do it. And that was hard. I remember one time, earlier on in my experience, someone asked me, what are you going to do with the rest of your life that's going to last throughout eternity? And that question stuck with me. So why me turned into why not me? And every day for the last 30 plus years, I get on my knees and I ask God to please forgive me and make me that vessel. I want to be sent so that I can preach and people can believe and hear and be saved. On the day... And we'll close with this. On the day of my ordination, uh, by that time, my dad had already passed away. And I was kind of a renegade because I was a, a different denomination all of a sudden. My family was really confused about that. But as time went on and became a pastor and then this ordination came, uh, they began to accept that and, and, and actually respect it. And I never forget my mom. You thought I was going to forget Mother's Day, didn't you? Oh, no. Sunday is Mother's Day. You make sure you tell your mom how much you love them because they have loved you so much. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. Right, moms? My mom came and she was ill. She had already been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease by this point. And she came to my ordination. I'll never forget it. There were 
thousands of people in that room. It was a camp meeting. It was amazing. But I just was looking at one person. That's my mom. I held my wife's hand and looked at my mom. That's all I cared about. I cared about the fact that she was there. I couldn't believe it. And when I came home, she gave me this letter that I put in this, in this frame, and I have it in my office. And often I'll get up and I'll read it. Now, I can't read it to you right now because it's in Italian. But I did it translate some words for you so that you can, I can leave you with these words. Because I believe that these words that she said to me, they apply to you. Everyone in this room matters to God. Everyone in this room, everyone in this, uh, through, through the network and, 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 and the bandwidth matters to God. You matter to God. And so here's the words my mom wrote. She starts off by saying, there are two things that will never abandon you. The love I have for you as a mother and God's ever-guiding eye. Today, more than ever, I want you to know how much I love you and how proud I, of you I am for accepting this important mission that God has chosen for you. I am sure that as you are faithful, God will provide the strength and the courage to deal with any difficulty. There's an old Chinese saying, she wrote in Italian. <laughs> when a man digs a well, 1,000 men will go to draw water from his well. And then she says, I pray that you will be that well and that all who come will be refreshed by God's love. And that is my prayer for you. May God bless us as we move forward. And may one day meet, we get a chance to meet Matthias and Joseph and let them know how appreciative we are that they stood there trembling while God chose. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for this wonderful book called the book of Acts. And Father, I, I, I just, I know that there's somebody within listening right now that, that's listening that, that, that may be wondering if they are too much of a sinner or, or maybe, maybe they're just not special enough. And Lord, I want to pray that maybe somehow these words that we spoke today would help them to know that that is not the case. The case is none of us are, but you are. And you make us and create us give us courage and, and power and enable us in ways that we could never imagine. I pray, Father, you who know the hearts of men, you would read our hearts. And may we obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day, church. God bless. I can. Right now, you want me to read in Italian? All right. I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read some because it's a big letter.
l'amore della mamma è l'occhio di Dio, che sempre trisegue. Si dice che il suo piano della natura umana si riesce solo, o in maggiore misura l'amore materno. Dunque, a te, figlio, dedico il mio scritto. In questo tuo speciale giorno, parlando di proprio sull'amore. I think I'll stop there. <laughs> That's how it starts. All right.